Well, good morning. It is good to be here this morning. My name is Matthew Perez. I am one of the pastors and one of the elders here at Life Church. And it is always a privilege and honor to bring the Word of God. We'll be in the book of Philippians this morning. And so I want to encourage you, whether you have a phone, a tablet, or a Bible, to go ahead and turn there. I'll be in the ESV version. And whether you are in this room or in this building or joining us online from across town, across the county, across the U.S., we are glad that you're with us this morning as we come to the Word of God. So a few years ago, I was sitting in a home in a remote village in Southeast Asia with a group of local believers who were fueled with mixed emotions. Some were silent, some were frustrated, some were in flat-out tears. Earlier that day, another pastor and I were in a local church in this village in Southeast Asia, uh, working with local leaders, working with local pastors, teaching them how to read, study, and teach the Word of God so they could more effectively teach the Word of God to the local nationals. Now, this was a three-day workshop, and it was day two, and it had gone quite well. We were really excited about some of the progress we had been seeing. And then at the end of the day, something unexpected hit for us. Now, we were getting ready to leave the church, and a police officer showed up. Uh, the police officer shared with some of our, the village leaders, our local leaders, that they had received several complaints from people in the area about a gathering that was taking place at the church, and these citizens who were non-Christian were quite angry with what was taking place. And so the police officer was there, and he said, I'm here as a courtesy and as a favor for you. I'm a, I'm a Christian. And I want you to know that I've been told if you guys gather tomorrow, there may be trouble, and I'm quite concerned there will be, and I would encourage you guys not to gather tomorrow. So now it's about an hour later, and I'm in this home of one of the local pastors, and we are in there talking and praying about what we should do, what this looks like. And as I said, some were quiet, some were angry, some were crying, and they were sharing how over the past year, persecution had just been increasing in this area. They had been receiving more threats and more harassment, and they were concerned as to where this was heading. And then one of the women who ministered to the women in her village quite effectively, with tears in her eyes, said something I'll I'll never forget. She said, I am not afraid to go back to jail for being a Christian. I don't want to go through it again, but I'm not afraid of it. Now, throughout history and even today, we have been called to take the Word of God into a world that is not always accepting of the Word of God or of God's servants. That's us. Now, Jesus tells us this is going to happen in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. He says, I'm sending you out as sheep amongst the wolves. And later on in Matthew chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, he says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's not enough to be, for the disciple to be like the teacher and the servant like the master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of the household? Jesus says, look, if they've attacked me, the master, they're going to attack and malign the servants, that's his followers, for sharing God's truth. And he says, listen, we shouldn't be shocked by this. I dislike a push against the message of God and God's people is something that shouldn't shock us. It does come. The question becomes, how do we respond? This morning in our passage, Paul finds himself in jail. and He's in jail for preaching the word of God, for for being a Christian. And as we look into our passage this morning, I want us to see how Paul responds 
when following Christ has led him to less than desirable conditions, a less than desirable personal outcome. In the process of looking at this passage this morning, we're now going to see how Paul responds and how Paul moves, but how he challenges us to respond and move as servants of Christ, planted intentionally in the places he's put us, to share the word of God in places that people won't always be excited to hear. This morning there's a question I want us to think through, and it's this. How do I serve with joy in a world that will not always be accepting of God's servants? That's where we find ourselves. So how do I serve with joy in a world that's not always going to be accepting of God's servants? I believe Paul shows us a couple of things here in our passage this morning. I'm going to begin reading in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 through 18, and I want to encourage you to read along with me. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some, indeed, preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that... I rejoice. Join me in a word of prayer. Holy Father, as we come to your word this morning, we pray that our hearts and minds would be receptive to the truths that you share, and that we be receptive to what the Holy Spirit wants to impress upon us through your word. Lord, I pray that the words that I speak would be honoring to you, it would be true to you, and that you would be glorified in our time around the word this morning. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. So how do I serve with joy in a world that is not always accepting of God's servants? It's really going to depend not on my circumstances being favorable to me or my lifestyle being favorable to me, but instead in understanding that we need to place Christ first. And there's two things that I think God shows us, in, or Paul shows us in this passage. And the first is this. If you want to serve Christ and, and you want to serve God in a world that will not always be accepting of God's servants, the first thing that I want to encourage us to be thinking about is this, and it's to bloom where God plants you. And what does that mean? Well, let's look at this passage here in the first two verses. Paul says, I want you to know what has happened to me. And Paul doesn't even really go into what has happened to him. They, they know what's happened to him. He doesn't spend a lot of time on him personally. Paul was in Jerusalem, he was arrested for preaching the gospel, he is sent to Ephesus, from Ephesus he's heading to Rome, he is shipwrecked, him and some other uh, prisoners as well as the prison guards, they're eventually rescued off the island and taken to Rome, And, and Paul, he doesn't even get into all that, he's not even really concerned with that. What he's concerned with is the gospel and the advancement of the gospel. In Philippians chapter 1 verse 5, Paul talks about that he and the Philippian church are in a partnership sharing the gospel. We are partners in the gospel. And Paul doesn't want them to worry about his circumstances. Instead, what he wants to show them is this. Our partnership in the gospel is not being impacted because I'm in prison. 
The gospel and our partnership are still strong. Now, when I say gospel, what I mean is this. The message that Jesus Christ took on flesh, that he lived a perfect life of obedience to the Father and went to the cross and had his blood shed for the sacrifice for sin, for our disobedience to God the Father, the King of the universe. And that by the death uh, Jesus dies, he pays the penalty for our disobedience so that we can be forgiven by God and welcome into a relationship with God as a child of God through and only through the finished work of Jesus Christ and his obedience to the Father. That Christ lived a perfect life of obedience to the Father, died on the cross, was resurrected, is seated at the right hand of God, interceding on behalf of us. And that one day he will return and bring those who are into his kingdom uh, into the kingdom of God for eternity with the Father. And that we're only reconciled to God through Christ. This is the message that Paul has been sharing that has led him to prison. And Paul says, listen, I'm okay with being in prison. Because while my current circumstances may not be ideal, it has served to, verse 12, advance the gospel. He says, in fact, I'm here in jail and I've got a literally captive audience, right? Everybody knows why I'm here. The guards know why I'm here. I'm here because of the gospel. And while I'm here, I'm not waiting to get out of jail before I continue to share the gospel in our partnership. I am here. God has placed me here. I'm going to share. And I'm going to do what he's called me to do regardless of what my current circumstances look like. I'm not waiting for them to improve before I begin doing what God has called me to do. Paul's excited. He literally has a captive audience for the gospel. And I wonder if, if, the, if the Roman guards wondered who was really in prison because while they have to come and watch him in four-hour shifts in exchange, I think all Paul sees it as is sweet. New people who knew to hear the gospel. Hey, let me tell you why I'm here. Oh, here he goes again, right? Or they're leaning in. What, what, why are you here? But Paul understands something. Like, I'm here, and people are guarding me, and people need to hear the gospel, and I'm not waiting to get out to share the gospel. I've got people coming in every four hours, new people who need to hear the gospel, who need to hear about Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done. And man, I'm going to share. Paul's not sulking. He's not pouting. He's not questioning, does God really love me by placing me here? Instead, he says, no. God has placed me here with a purpose, for a purpose, and I'm going to live that out. It was May of 2009, and I was in one of those moments where I actually realized the magnitude of the moment, and I was really just soaking it in. It was May of 2009, and I was at a Moody Church in Chicago, Illinois, getting ready to uh, take part in my graduation ceremony from the Moody Bible Institute's graduate school. And my wife is upstairs, my kids are upstairs, and my parents are upstairs, and a lot of family, and we're going to celebrate because when I, when I entered school, we had one child. When I left school, we had three children. So my wife and I looked at it as survival, and we were excited to celebrate, right? So everyone's gathering upstairs, all the family and friends, and all the graduates are downstairs getting ready to go up across stage and to celebrate. And, and all of a sudden, I was, I was gripped with this reality. I remember standing there and thinking, this group of people who are in this basement right now are never going to be together again this side of heaven. This is it. And we're going to go out, we're going to walk upstairs, we're going to walk across the stage, and we're going to walk out these doors, and we're never going to see each other again as a total group this side of heaven. 
people who have studied together, who have lived together, who have laughed together, who have shared together, who have prayed together. We're never gathering again. So I was soaking it in. Soaking it in, realizing that some of us are going to take part in some neat ministries. Some of us may not finish well. Some may die on foreign soil for the faith. Some may lead just sweet, quiet ministries in obscurity. But I'm soaking this in. And two people next to me are talking, and one says, I don't don't remember where they even said they were going or what they were doing, but I remember one says, well, you know what Dr. Feuder's wife says. Now, we need to pause for a moment. I need to explain something to you about Dr. Feuder and his wife. Now, I have a Bible, and in front of the Bible, I have a lot of quotes from people to encourage me, uh, people of the faith, many professors. One of the things I loved about my time studying at Moody was the, just the shepherding aspect of the professors that we had there, and so they had become very dear to me. My Bible is filled with the wisdom of professors and others. I remember several years ago running into Dr. Thrasher, a professor that I greatly admired, and I sheepishly confessed that I, I quoted him so much to our youth students when I was a youth pastor that he was like a cult legend in our youth group. And I don't know who was more embarrassed, me for admitting it or, or him for hearing such praise that had gone his way. But I have in the front of my Bible quotes from Dr. Feuder and Dr. Thrasher and Dr. Matthews and Dr. Horn and Dr. Coakley. And they're, 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 they're quotes that they have shared in class that were meant to fuel me in my prayer life, in my personal walk with God as my role as a shepherd. And, and those quotes uh, line the front of my Bible along with quotes from people like John Piper, St. Jerome, St. Augustine, Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, Thomas Akempis. And so I've got all these quotes in my Bible, but what I don't have in my Bible up to this point is a Mrs. Dr. Feuder quote. In fact, I don't know that I ever even really met Mrs. Dr. Feuder, but I've heard so much about her that I have high respect for her. The women who were part of our school who ministered alongside of her and spent time with her one-on-one just spoke glowingly of her. And so I had a lot of respect from her from hearing personal testimony from the women who came into contact with her. I knew the ministries that Dr. Feuder had both in Los Angeles and Chicago and some inner-city tough ministries. I had heard the stories of Dr. Feuder and Mrs. Dr. Feuder sharing Thanksgiving meals under an underpass in L.A. with homeless men and women sharing a meal and sharing the gospel. So I had a a lot of respect for Mrs. Dr. Feuder. So when I hear, you know what Mrs. Dr. Feuder says, I am leaning in because I want to hear the wisdom that she has to share. So let's go back to the scene. He says, you know what Dr. Feuder's wife says? And the second guy says, oh yeah, I do. And both in unison they say, Bloom where God plants you. When we come to Philippians chapter 1 today, we see the life of Paul, and we see the approach to our walk with God that has lived out in Paul's life, and it's echoed perfectly and beautifully by Mrs. Dr. Feuder. Bloom where God plants you. God has placed Paul intentionally in a context that he now finds himself in, and he can pout, he can sulk, he can wait till things get better, or he can realize that God has placed him there intentionally with a purpose and for a purpose. Now, God is not a gardener like me and my wife were when we first got married. So when my wife and I first got married like 20, 21 years ago, uh, my wife gardened and I landscaped. It just sounded manlier. So I, I've never been a gardener, I'm a landscaper. And I've hung up my landscaping tools, but... Um, 
we would garden slash landscape. And when we first got married, this is how we would garden slash landscape. We would see something that we liked, and we would buy it, and we would go, and we'd say, eh, we think this would look really good right here, and we would plant it and not give any thought about it. And a few days later, a, a more seasoned gardener or landscaper like my mom would show up and be like, why did you plant that there? And because now I own my own home, or the bank owns it, and I'm borrowing it, right, I, I decide to flex my muscle. Well, Mom, that's where I want it. And she's like, it doesn't go there. Like, here goes Mom again, right? Like, what do you mean it doesn't go there? She's like, you put it there, and it's getting too much sun. That's not a full sun plant. You're going to kill it. I'm like, what are you talking about? So then my mom begins to talk to us about, like, hey, this plant needs full sun. You need to put it over here in the sun. This plant needs more shade. You need to bring it over here. This plant has too much water where it's at. You need to move it to a drier place. And so what we learned was we don't know how to plant or landscape. And so now I'm uprooting the plants that we had planted or landscaped, and we're moving them to a, a more intentional place in the garden so that they will thrive. God doesn't plant like this. God has not planted you in this section of the world by accident. You, you weren't bound for Boston, he got his signals crossed up, and now you're here by accident, right? You're not like the guy who got on a train for L.A. and wound up in Jacksonville, Florida, right? You're not in the wrong place at the wrong time. God has planted you in this part of his garden, so to speak, intentionally at this time for a purpose and with a purpose. And he says, I want you to bloom here until I uproot you and move you to a new, another section of the garden. God didn't plant Paul in jail by accident. It was not haphazard, it was not ideal, but it also wasn't wasted. Paul didn't wait for his situation to feel more comfortable before he started moving for God. In, in 20 plus years of ministry, I have heard so many different lines from people as to why they're waiting before they serve God. Waiting for the next stage of life before they feel like now I can serve God the way he has called me to. Well, when I, when I get to high school, then I can begin to do this for God, but I'm too young right now. Well, I'm a freshman in high school, and I, really, I don't really have much clout because I'm a freshman. When I'm a senior, then I'll be able to invest more for God by doing this. Well, I'm a senior, you know, and I'm actually graduating in a few months, and I'm heading off to college, and when I get to college, I'll be in a new environment, then I'll begin to serve God the way that he wants me to. Well, you know, I'm in college, and college is just a time of transition. In fact, I don't plan to live here after I get done graduating, so I really don't want to invest and build relationships. So after I graduate, and, and then I settle into where God wants me, then I'll begin to serve him. You know what, I'm single right now, and maybe when I get married, I'm going to be excited because then me and my spouse, we can, we can serve together. You know what, we just got married, and my spouse and I are getting to know each other, and, and it's been great. We just, we just don't have the time right now to serve the way God has called us to serve. You, you know what, uh, we have kids, they're young, we're not going to get this time back, and we're, we're just trying to really soak them in while we can. When they get a little bit older and into school, then we're going to jump in to be serving God the way that he is called me to. You know what? I've got this great opportunity for a job promotion, and it's, yeah, I know it's going to be more hours and less time with my church family, but you know what? This is going to be great for my family. This is going to be a, a great opportunity, and so um, I know it's going to cut into my ability to serve, but the pay is good. It's going to be a really good move for us, so you know, in a few years when work calms down, I'll be able to kind of jump in more. You know what? I, I, we're, we're just, I got to work hard. I'm trying to save money because we'd like to move into a nicer house 
in a nicer neighborhood so we mean to have people in and host them in our home for God. We're just not quite there yet. You know what? In a few years, my kids, they will be off to college. We want to enjoy these last few years. And so when they get off to college, my wife and I are excited. We'll be empty nesting. Then we're going to have some time to dive in and serve where God has called us to. You know what? It's COVID. It's a mess. I mean, until there's a vaccine or this thing just dies, we're just going to hunker down and there's really not much we can do right now. And so we're just going to, we're just going to take care of our family right now and, and just concentrate on us. We just, we just can't right now. You know, the kids are almost done with college, and man, I've been working like a dog. I'm getting ready to retire. We're excited, my wife and I. We're going to have a lot more time on our hands so we can begin to serve God the way that we've been desiring to do. You know what? I'm retired now, and I'm just a little bit too old. Man, I wish I'd have done this when I was younger. You should go ask a younger guy. I mean, I, I mean, you hear him. We're always waiting for that next stage of life to then think that magically things are going to be better through our wishful thinking to now make it more ideal for us to serve God. He has placed you where he has placed you with intentionality. Paul shows us that we're not called to wait until our situation changes before we begin to consider serving God. Instead, Paul shows us that the call for us to serve God is in the context that he intentionally places us in at this time. Like Paul, God has placed us intentionally in our communities, in our schools, in our church, in our jobs, in our family, and like Paul, we need to bloom where God plants us for his glory. How do I serve with joy in a world that will not always be accepting of God's servants? Well, first, I need to bloom where God plants me. And here's the second thing. The advancement of the gospel it needs to matter more than your personal goals and plans. There's just no other way around it. Let's look at verses 14 through 18. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. Okay, so Paul says, look, I am blooming where God has planted me. I am in prison. I've got a captive audience. I am sharing the gospel. Even while I'm here in prison, our partnership is continuing. Neat things are going on. And he says in verse 14, the exciting thing is, my example and my faithfulness to God is moving other people to be faithful to God and share the gospel. My passion and my example are leading others to move for God. And this means that the gospel is advancing. And Paul says, praise God for that. Paul's excited. Now there's a problem. Because you have two groups of people who are sharing. Some are doing it from goodwill. They honestly want to see Christ exalted. In verse 17, we're told that, that some are doing it to afflict him. They are doing it out of rivalry and affliction, verse 16. Rivalry and envy, verse 15. Verse 17, rivalry, uh, or they're, they're afflicting me in prison. Uh, verse 17, rivalry again is brought up. And so what, what is Paul saying here? Well, there are some, verse 16, who we're told are just, they're preaching the gospel out of love. They, they genuinely want to see the word of God go forward. And there are some who have some motives that just quite aren't, aren't, aren't quite there. Now, here's what we know about these other people, the second group. 
the, the message that they're sharing is the gospel. And the reason I think that we could, we could assume that with certainty is this. When people weren't sharing the gospel properly, in other letters, Paul did not hesitate to call them out and say, you're preaching the gospel wrong. You are getting this wrong. This is what the gospel is. Paul never hesitates to correct when people are misrepresenting the gospel truth. And Paul's not doing that here. And so I think it's very safe to say that the gospel message that they're proclaiming is solid. And the method is good. They're preaching the word, right? But when somebody is preaching, you've got to think about the message. Is it true to God's word? Are the method, are they, are they preaching it? Or are they using words? Are they using God's word? And it seems to be that they are. And then there's motive. And this is where the issue is with these individuals. You look at verse 16. The latter do it out of love, knowing what I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. Or verse 15, I'm sorry. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love. So some people are doing it out of love. No, I'm putting here for the defense of the gospel. The former, those who are out of envy and rivalry, proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So what's going on? Well, two things. Uh, first, rivalry, or selfish ambition. There are some who are now preaching the word of God because they think this is my chance. Paul's in prison, and now I have a chance to go make a name for myself, to gather people for myself. And so I'm going to go preach the word of God. Now, their method is, or their motive is not solid. Paul says, that's fine. There are others who are saying, well, we're going to do this to create more affliction. And the thought process went something like this. Paul's in jail for preaching the gospel. And we don't like Paul. So if we preach the gospel, maybe that'll get him into more trouble. So let's go preach the gospel. And Paul says, hey, that's fine, man. Like, like, your motive is not solid, and that's between you and God. But the message is solid, and you're sharing the word of God. And in the end, if that means more people go toward you and not me, if I get in more trouble because of this, Paul says, I don't care. I don't care. Praise God. The word of God is going forward. The gospel is being preached. Paul says, great. You're sharing the gospel, and you're doing it properly. Your doctrine is not off. Your motive is. And that's between you and God. But verse 18, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and I'm rejoicing, Paul says. Paul says, God is primary, and I am secondary. The gospel is advancing, and that's more important to me than my personal comfort advancing, my bank account advancing, or my happiness advancing, or my zip code advancing. He says, all of that is taking a back seat, because what is primary is this. The gospel is going forward and God is being glorified. Paul embraces this selfless mindset that says, God first and me second. Now, for us, too often, I, I think if we're really honest, we are guilty of striving after our own goals and plans for life rather than the advancement of the gospel. What do I, what do I mean by that? I, I think too often we are, we are a guilty people that are going to put our own personal desires and preferences in the front seat of the car and ask Christ and the gospel to go to the back seat. They're going to be secondary matters. Well, let me give you a few examples of where we may see this. Sometimes we map out the trajectory of our career and say yes to things 
that demand more time so we can get ahead, so we can move up in the business world, because the promotion, or the prestige, or the raise, or the larger house, if we're quite honest, matter more to us than the gospel. We would never say it, but our actions seem to indicate that is a primary driving force in our life. With our kids, we will sometimes load up their schedules academically with enrichment programs, extracurricular activities. We will squeeze out their time and our time with God and the importance of them understanding who God is because we need to make sure that their grades are in a spot where they can get into a good college to get a good job, to get a good home, and all of this will move to the front seat of our lives and God's kingdom to the back. We will do this with athletics as parents. We will invest large amounts of time and money and energy to travel teams, to extra practices, to extra coaching, to private coaching, and all of that will move to the forefront and God's kingdom moves to the back because we think our child may have a chance to get a scholarship or more. I may view my job as just a job, as just a means to an end, just a step in the ladder. It's just a paycheck that I'm earning till I get to do what I really want to do. And yet, God has you in that work environment with those individuals intentionally for you to be his servant in word and deed, and yet that will often move to the background in our desire to just either grind it out or long for a better job or a new job will move to the front. We will even do this when we walk into church. We will put our personal preferences to the foreground and we'll move the gospel and God's kingdom to the background, to the back seat. I will evaluate the church if it suits me based on things like, is the music style what I want? Was the preacher funny today? I wasn't, I'm sorry. Did he use the Bible version that I thought he should have used? Was the music to my liking? Are they preaching things that make me feel good? Are my kids being really entertained and having a fun time in children's ministry. We'll push all this to the front and to the back. What we push are things like this. God, when I walk in today, who can I pour into in my church family? God, how can I be a servant when we gather together as a church body this morning? God, how can I be, how can I be used to be a blessing? How can you have my eyes open to be a blessing to my church family who I see around me who may need to feel the love of Christ today? Lord, how can I be a blessing to a visitor who may not know anyone in the church or may not even know you this morning? Lord, how can I serve in a way that helps the kingdom of God be glorified when I walk through the church doors this morning? Those questions usually get pushed to the background. When Paul walks into the jail cell, one thing is clear by this letter. His personal goals, his personal plans, his personal preferences, his personal desires... They're all taking a back seat to a larger picture. They all take a back seat as Paul looks not through the lens of what makes him feel good or makes him happy, but he's looking through the lens of the kingdom and asking, how, Lord, can you use me in this context 
for you and your kingdom to be glorified. Even for Paul when that lands me in prison. Now, Paul places his current suffering into the larger context of God's kingdom. Yep, I'm in prison. And some are preaching to harm me. I don't really care. The gospel's going forward. That's what fuels my fire. That's what glorifies God. And Paul does this because he needs to point out to them that his current circumstance isn't by accident. It needs to be used to glorify God because he needs to remind the Philippian church of the same thing. Flip ahead, and I'm going to steal James's thunder from like a week or two from now, right? Sorry, James, but just love you, brother. Uh, chapter 1, verse 29 and 30. Look what Paul says. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict they saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul says, listen, I am suffering for the gospel, and it's okay. The gospel is going forward. God is being glorified, and this is not by accident. And oh, by the way, guys, it's happening to you too, isn't it? And that's not by accident either. Remember, we're partners in the gospel for his glory and the suffering. He says, brothers, sisters, hang in there. Glorify God. That's a message that Paul needs the Philippian church to hear. And it's a message that we need to hear as well. What is happening and where you are right now is not haphazard. It need not be wasted. God can use it for his glory, if you let him. Paul sees the big picture. God, you and your kingdom are first, and I'm second. Paul wants his church in Philippi to see the big picture. Brothers and sisters, you want unity in the gospel? You want God's kingdom to be glorified? You must put the gospel first, and your own personal desires second. Brothers and sisters, the same thing is true at Life Church or any church around the world. If you want to see God glorified in His Word advance, we have to put Him and His kingdom first in our personal preferences second. How do I serve with joy in a world that will not always be accepting of God's servants? Two things Paul says here. Number one, bloom where God plants you. You are not planted there by accident. And number two, the advancement of the gospel needs to matter more to us than our personal goals and plans. As a follower of Christ, as a servant of God, we're called to place the gospel first and our personal goals and plans second. So, I'm going to ask you just a few questions that I want to encourage you to be thinking about this week and how you can think through this and apply this in your own context. What steps do I need to consider to begin serving God in the context I'm currently in? Okay, here's some questions I want you to think about this week, today. What in your community... And when I say community, I mean your home, your neighborhood, your school, or your work. What in your community or in your church is God burdening your heart for at this moment? It's there. I know it's there. Are there long-term passions that God has placed on your heart that you need to think about steps to take to move forward in obedience to God? When my wife and I felt that God was leading me into ministry some 20 plus years ago, the first thing I did was sit down with my pastor and my wife and say, I think God is calling me to this. Do you see it and what do I need to be thinking about over the next few weeks, months, and years? And he began to talk about what I needed to do and how I needed to grow so I could be used by God. So there might be some long-term things you need to be thinking about. What does that look like? 
Maybe you have a passion to work and help with women in a crisis center or a homeless ministry or to share the Bible in a foreign land. You ask yourself, what practical steps do you need to start taking today to move toward that end for God's glory? Maybe you need to put your head up and begin to ask this week as you look around your community, where, God, can you use me? Where can I be used? How can I rearrange my schedule to allow more time for your kingdom? Lord, are there places in my community, places like Aroa and Helping Ministries, or even in my own church that needs help that I don't even know about? Who do I need to ask? Begin to look at your context. Begin to be a good Sherlock Holmes and study your surroundings. Your home, your school, your work, your church. And observe. Really observe and ask, where are there some needs to glorify God and advance the kingdom? And then ask yourself, what's one thing that you can do this week to begin to take those steps. Bob Pierce, the founder of World Vision, says it well. Don't fail to do something just because you cannot do everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can come together and see in your word the example of the joy that Paul has in you, in you alone. Lord, we, we humbly confess that too often our joy, our service for you, our desire to be used by you is too often contingent on how we feel or our circumstances or our longing for something different or better. And Lord, we confess, Lord, we confess the sin of squandering the gifts, abilities, and place that you have intentionally given us in place to sin. Lord, I pray that we would not walk out of here feeling guilt or shame for not serving more, Lord, but that we would see Paul's example, see Paul's joy. And Lord, may that fuel us, as it did the church in Philippi, to want to serve more, to advance your kingdom more. Lord, may I take time this week to honestly take stock in the way that I invest my time, my energy, my mental focus, my abilities. And Lord, if there is a large deficiency in the way that I'm serving and glorifying you, may you give me the courage to begin to rearrange things for your glory. Lord, you have placed us each here intentionally. May we bloom here for your glory your honor so people may come to know you people may come to be welcomed into your family through the finished work of Christ pray all this in your son's glorious name